Hello. Uh, yeah. Um, quick announcement. My wife reminded me to remind you, if you haven't picked up one of those little ornaments that she painted for you in the back with a little note from us, one for each family, there's, I think there's still some back there. Please do that. And if there's none back there, you didn't get one, talk to my wife. <clears throat> okay, this year... <clears throat> We're going to begin, we're going to continue in Colossians uh, this morning, but this year we've decided to do something a little different with our, instead of having a meditation verse of the week, we're going to have a meditation passage of the month. And um, I wanted to, I wanted us to meditate as a church family on the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. And so... <clears throat> I thought we'd just start with the first chapter of Revelation because the letters begin in chapter 2. So for the month of January, we're going to meditate on the first half of chapter 1, month of February, the second half of chapter 1, and then starting in March, we're going to begin the, uh, with the letter to the church, church at Ephesus. And each month, um, this will be in your bulletin. And I'm not exactly sure yet how we will proceed with this. I'm not saying we're going to read it every week. But what I would like us to do is actively, prayerfully meditate together as a, as a means of treasuring Christ together. The songs that we sung this morning are aimed at helping us treasure Christ together. The messages that I try to preach are aiming at the same thing and so the so is the passage of the month aimed at that so <clears throat> if you have the little insert in your bulletin you could take it out and we'll just read this together this is the first eight verses of the book of revelation <clears throat> the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. <clears throat> John, to the seven churches <clears throat> that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. May God bless his word to us as we seek to prayerfully meditate on that in the month of January. 
Okay, we're going to go to the book of Colossians this morning and pick up where we left off before the Advent season. This is Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 24. If you're using the Pew Bible, this is page 1168. I'm going to begin reading at chapter 1, verse 24, and I'm going to read all the way down through chapter 2, verse 5. That's kind of a chunk that goes together in Paul's thinking. I did preach a message on the first couple of verses of this last, last fall, but uh, we'll pick it up here at verse 24 and reading down through chapter 2, verse 5. <clears throat> Just before I read, let, let, me, let me pray together with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Lord, help us to realize what a treasure we have in front of us and <clears throat> the blood that was spilled and the lives that were given so that we could have the scriptures in our own language. Lord, thank you so much for the Bible. Would you help us now as we give our attention to this letter that Paul wrote from jail many, many years ago to the believers in Colossae? Would you help us, Lord, to think well about what he was meaning to say back then and how that applies to our lives today? So that, Lord, what we're asking is that you would actually speak to us today, right here in this place, through your word. Shape our minds and our hearts and our lives by your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Colossians beginning at chapter 1, verse 24. <clears throat> now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, <clears throat> being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ." in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The word of the Lord. Okay, notice in this paragraph how Paul starts off with joy and ends the paragraph with joy. He starts off in 124 by saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then over in chapter 2, verse 5, even though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So kind of as bookends at the Uh, one end and the other, or the top and the tail, he has joy. So this is Paul expressing his joy in conveying to the believers in Colossae the glory of the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ. Even if he has to suffer for it. uh, Over a month ago, before Advent, when I when I preached this first message, I remember saying it's rare when you see someone rejoice in their sufferings. Um, And it's not that Paul was rejoicing in the sufferings themselves. It's that he was willing to suffer and glad to do it if that was going to bring the gospel to them and to have these Gentiles turn to Christ. So this is a section about Paul declaring his joy in being willing to suffer for the sake of Christ's church. First of all, um, remember, Paul is writing this from prison. He has experienced a level of persecution most of us have not yet. He ends this letter by saying in chapter 4, verse 18, remember my chains. Don't forget my chains. And, And I think he's saying that to ask them to keep praying for him, that he will stay true and endure in the faith, even during his sufferings. The sufferings he speaks of here in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 24, seems to me to parallel parallel the struggle that he speaks of in verse 29. Um, Notice in verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Over in chapter 4, verse 12, we see this struggling. He talks about, uh, I think part of Paul's sufferings was just his struggle for the believers. And over in chapter 4, verse 12, he also talks about Epaphras, who was a fellow servant. I'll just read chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Epaphras was struggling in his prayers. I I don't know what that means. Maybe it means like Jesus spent nights instead of sleeping, spent all nights in prayer, or arose a great while before dawn and poured out his heart in prayer for the believers in the church at Colossae. But uh, whatever the case, Epaphras was struggling in his prayers uh, for them. And, and, and I think this is what Paul is saying is part of his suffering 
that he counts as a joy is to be willing to struggle for the faith of the believers. So Paul was glad to suffer for the sake of the advancement of the faith of the believers. If suffering meant having to struggle in prayer for them, even if it meant external persecution and being thrown in jail, he was glad because he saw that his suffering was actually producing something. It was helping bring the gospel message to these believers and they were turning to Christ. And then Paul declares that God charged him with this stewardship of making the word of God fully known. Look with me in verse 20. Just at the end of 24, going into 25. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister or a servant according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul was rejoicing because he was gladly obeying God's call on his life. God had called him to this role of serving the church, even if it meant suffering. So Paul was rejoicing because he was being obedient to God's call on his life. <clears throat> it made me think of Paul's testimony before King Agrippa in the book of Acts chapter 26. I'll just read a couple of verses out of Acts chapter 26. You can listen if you'd like. If you want to turn there, this is starting in Acts 26, starting at verse 16. <clears throat> this is Paul before Agrippa, and he's telling Agrippa about how he was on the road to Damascus to arrest and to throw into jail some Christians there. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a terrorist to the church. And on his road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and knocked him to the ground with a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. And Paul is telling Agrippa in Acts 26, the voice from heaven said to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And this is where he picks it up, it, Acts 26, 16. This is Jesus still speaking to Paul. But rise and stand on your feet, because I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I love that. <clears throat> How many of us can say we have not been disobedient to God's heavenly call on our life? Paul said that before King Agrippa. He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I obeyed what Christ has called me to do. He called me to go to the Gentiles with this gospel message. So Paul had joy that he was fulfilling God's call on his life to be a servant to the church, even if that meant suffering. <clears throat> and so do we, don't we? 
We have joy when we are obedient to God's call on our lives. Now, God calls us all in different ways, in different vocations, but he calls us all to go into all the world and make disciples, right? <clears throat> Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Did you know that's God's call on all of our lives if we're a Christian? All, God's call on all of us is to be sharing the gospel and, in, and trying to help make disciples. <clears throat> and we experience his joy when we're obedient to that call, don't we? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is sharing this gladness even if in the face of suffering because he, was <clears throat> he had been appointed to this call. <clears throat> Going on, Paul was glad and excited because he was telling them about God's mystery. What is this mystery? It's not a mystery in the sense of Hardy Boy's mystery. Uh, it's not some. What it means. What he means is he he explains what he means when he says. Um, Verse 26, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. <clears throat> to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is saying the mystery is Christ, but it's not just it's not just that the baby was born in the manger to fulfill Jewish prophecy. It's not just that the Jewish Messiah came to liberate the Jewish people. The Jewish Messiah came to liberate all the ethnic groups of the world. All the way back in his promise to Abraham, God said, I'm going to make your seed great, and through your seed... All the ethnic groups of the world will be blessed. So the mystery that had been hidden is that God was doing a worldwide work through the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would bring both Jew and Gentile into one new man. Ephesians chapter 2. And the book of Ephesians, if you want to flip over there, just for a moment, it's just a couple of books back right before Philippians. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about this mystery again. <clears throat> I'm just going to read the first six verses of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how this how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul's when he's talking about the mystery, he's emphasizing the 
multi-ethnic church of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, are made to be recipients of the blessings that are in the Messiah. In the book of Colossians, he's talking about the exact same thing, but he's talking about it like, I am so, I am rejoicing that I can bring to you this mystery. And the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says that in verse 27. He wants them to know how great are the riches of this glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think that's like the center point of this last part of chapter 1. Christ in you. Uh, To me, that reminds me of the new covenant promises in Jeremiah chapter uh, 33. I'm not, excuse me. Sometimes my mind doesn't work like it's supposed to. Um, Yeah, Jeremiah 33, the promise of the new covenant. You can go back and read it later, starting at verse 14 of that chapter, where the Lord says, the days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant I made with them when I brought them out of Egypt and led them by the hand. No, there's days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with them. That's why we call it the New Testament, the new covenant, as opposed to the Old Testament. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write my laws in their hearts. I'm going to put the fear of me in them. I'm going to cause them to walk in my ways. This is also talked about in the uh, the book of Ezekiel these new covenant promises. Remember when Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he sat around in that last Passover meal and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. He took the Passover meal and he said, it's all pointing to me. This cup is the new covenant by means of my blood. He was referencing the promises of the new covenant. What he was saying is, My blood is going to purchase for you the writing of God's law in your heart, the delighting in your heart, in God. Those are the new covenant promises. God is making a new covenant people out of Jews and Gentiles. And I think that's at least what Paul has in mind when he says, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just that Christ is outside of us, telling us what to do. By His Spirit, He comes and lives within us and motivates us and changes our desires and He writes His law on our hearts. But the you in verse 27, Christ in you, is actually in the plural in the Greek language. We don't have a way of seeing that in our English, but what He's saying is Christ in y'all. Christ is in you all. And I think what Paul's emphasis is, is the Colossians, some of them were being tempted to find other spiritual experiences in addition to Christ. Some of them were observing certain Jewish feast days. Some of them were being taken up into worship of angels. There was something in Colossae that was pulling people away from just finding fullness in Jesus Christ. And 
I think what he's saying is, you don't need anything else. This is the mystery of God. This is the glorious mystery I'm so joyful about. Christ in your midst, which is the hope of glory. His, his presence in your midst as you gather and as you praise him and worship him. And that is the hope of glory. <clears throat> That's a foretaste. Sometimes when we gather here to worship even in the songs, I appreciate so much our music team leading us in songs that are talk about the preciousness of our Savior. <clears throat> um, even as we are treasuring in song together the preciousness of Christ, sometimes it feels like a foretaste of heaven. <clears throat> it's especially cool when you can hear the praise and worship of Jesus in multiple languages. It feels like a foretaste of heaven. But Christ in our midst, in us, as a body, as, a, as his people, is a hope of the glory to come. And then Paul just says, we're all about him. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Notice that sometimes the gospel ministry includes warning uh, sometimes people have to be warned away from errors and sinful patterns. And that Paul's rejoicing that even in that, his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. So his, he's focused, he was focused on proclaiming Christ and Christ only. <clears throat> Um, and then he's, he closes this section. I'm just going to end at, at the end of chapter 1 today. For this I toil, I labor, I work, struggling with all of his energy that powerfully works within me. Um, Paul is glad because he's dependent on God's energy, not just his own. There's no way he could proclaim this gospel message and have it transform people's lives and present them fulfilled and complete in Christ if it weren't for the power of God, if it weren't for the power of God. Same way with us. We can't, we're not adequate to share the gospel with people. Sometimes when, when we talk about evangelism, I hear people say, Pastor Drew, I'm not very good at talking to people. It reminds me of Moses. Remember Moses? God said, go to Pharaoh. And, and, and remember what Moses said? Hey, you know, ever since fifth grade, I've always struggled with speaking. I'm not very good at talking. Remember what God's answer was? <clears throat> who made man's mouth? Or who made him mute or blind or seeing? Is it not I, the Lord? I'll be with you, Moses. And guess what? I'll be with your mouth. So cut out the excuses. That's, you know, if there's anybody that struggles talking to people about the gospel, it's me. And I've shared many times, many times in this church about my struggles through the years. I feel awkward, you know, whatever, when I'm trying to talk to someone about the gospel. But I have found this. 
if I will humble myself and pray and say, Lord, give what you command from me and then command what you will. Give me, be with my mouth. I have just seen it over and over and over in my life. Open a door for the word and be with my mouth. And he does. I wonder what 2024 would look like for us as a church if we would just make that a weekly prayer. Lord, open a door for your word in my life to someone and be with my mouth. And help me to spread the glories of the riches of this great message. Christ came so that we might be, so that all people might be forgiven of their sins and liberated from their sins and welcomed into his forever family and given new joy and a new purpose of life. That's a glorious thing. That's a glorious thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm try, trying to draw this to an end. So we have to depend on his strength, like Paul did. As we come to a close, um, I, don't, I do not think that the main point of this passage is that we'll be better evangelists in 2024. I mean, that's a side point, but I don't think that's the main point of what Paul's doing here. You know what Paul's doing? Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 4. I'm saying this in order that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. See that? His concern is that they not be deluded with really good-sounding arguments. I think what Paul wants for the Colossian believers is to recognize the preciousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, do you guys realize what you're getting bored of? Who you're getting bored of? This is the bringer, this is the inaugurator of the new covenant. He's in you. He's, gonna, he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. He's writing his law in your heart. He's causing you to walk in his ways. He's putting his, the fear of God in you. This is Jesus Christ. You are complete in him. He said, he's going to say that later. In him you have been made complete. Why would you get bored of him? And start listening to the uh, mediums and the spiritists or the 800 psychic hotlines or the TV personality that's telling you to go this way which is different than what Jesus is telling you. Why would you get bored with Jesus Christ? I think that's the point. I think that's the purpose of this paragraph. He's saying, I rejoice even though I'm suffering because I'm able to bring to you the treasure of God's mystery which is Jesus Christ. Oh, this is a treasure, Colossian believers. Oh, this is a treasure, Cement City believers. Let's not leave Jesus for substitutes. 
he, he's going to go on to say in the very ne- the, we're not there yet, but in chapter 2, verse 6, he draws a conclusion. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding with thanksgiving. <clears throat> so my prayer for us is that we would not get bored with Jesus Christ. How are we going to do that? Well, first of all, let's pray that we not. Let's give ourselves to God's word and meditating on it. You know, I don't know. I've been thinking about these words for a long time, but to him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood, be what? Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you don't know what else to pray in 2024, pray that. Lord Jesus, you have loved me. You have, by your blood, you have freed me from my sins. To you, may there be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is a treasure. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You know, listen by heart, right? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. So as we go through 2024 in the valleys, he's going to be with us. He's going to be our shield. He's the one that lifts up our head. He holds everything in being by the word of his power. My wife brought ham. We're going to have ham later or whatever else you guys all brought for fellowship lunch. You know what's so good about that? Jesus holds that together, including the flavor. The best thing about ham is Jesus Christ. The best thing about fellowship dinners is Jesus Christ. He's the founder of the feast. He's the one who created us. He's the one who sustains us. He's the one who walks with us. He's the one we're headed toward someday face to face. He is our treasure. He's the one that takes every sorrow and every trial and turns it into a glory. I don't know how, but he does. So let's not be bored with Jesus Christ. In 2024, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way the Apostle Paul labored and struggled for the faith of the believers in Colossae. Thank you for his joy, even in the face of suffering, because of the beauty, the glorious riches of the mystery of your mystery that had been hidden for centuries and for generations but now revealed that is Christ in you the hope of glory lord i just pray that we would not lose our awe and our taste for jesus 
But instead, I pray in this year ahead that our, our spiritual taste buds for Jesus would be amplified and our capacity to enjoy him and depend on him when the going gets tough would be magnified. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, that you would show up in our lives in greater and greater ways in this next year and that you indeed would be our treasure, our pearl of great price, our treasure which we found and over joy of finding it, go, gladly go and sell everything to be able to obtain you. Lord, would you be that for us in this year to come? And then, Lord, as we find ourselves grounded and rooted in your love, I pray that a thousand wonderful joys would overflow from us, just like it did for the Apostle Paul. We would, be, we would abound in thanksgiving, and we would abound in talking to others about the glory of our Lord Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.